Thanks for joining us for the Fight for Your Marriage podcast with Charlene Steinkamp. This is a place where you can find hope for your marriage through Jesus Christ. I'm thrilled to do this as we have a very special guest and is our only daughter, Lori Lassen. Bob and I were blessed to have three children, Tim being the oldest, Lori our only daughter, and then God blessed us with our third child, Tom, six years after Lori was born. Lori married her high school sweetheart, Scott, and they have four beautiful children that you may have heard of throughout our ministry. Lori had twins, Kyle and Kayla, Ryan, who was born 15 months later, and then Ashley. Today, Lori is going to share from her heart to yours. I hope you will be blessed. Lord, we praise your holy name, and we thank you so much for your amazing love for your children. Lord, we pray every day for you to touch every standard to increase their faith, their hope, and trust in your mighty power to move their circumstances that they are facing right now in their marriage falling apart. Lord, we pray that you will touch their beloved husband or wife, and may you speak to them every day so that they will surrender their heart and life to your will and way. Lord, may you heal, rebuild, and restore this special marriage completely for you to get all the glory, honor, and praise. Lord, we ask you to bless and anoint this teaching. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today I wanted to share some of my testimony with you. When my parents finally divorced, I was 13 years old. We grew up in the church, and we were there every time the doors were open. My parents made sure that they were good people, but they were not living holy lives. Our family was what you would call a Sunday Christian. On Sunday, we would put on the dress clothes and the fake smiles, but during the week, a different story was unfolding. Let me first explain that my childhood was not complete and utter chaos. We had fun as a family, and we still do. We love to laugh and to be silly. My dad and both of my brothers, Tim and Tom and I, have the gift of sarcasm. My mom didn't always think it was a gift, but the four of us would razz each other constantly. When there was a disagreement between my parents, it would sometimes turn into a major fight. There would be screaming, throwing things, doors slamming, and sometimes even physical abuse. My brothers and I would sometimes get in the middle of the argument in order to stop it, but that would make it escalate. On countless occasions, we watched my dad pack his bags and leave. Sometimes it would be for a few hours and sometimes for a few days. The last time he moved out, we realized that he wasn't ever coming home. I really think my brothers and I were okay with that. We felt as if we would finally have some peace in our home. We continued to see my dad regularly, and as many of you can probably attest to, the outings with dad were now more fun than ever. He made sure to take us to the best ice cream parlor in Broward County. We would also go on fun excursions, like parking on a side road at the airport right by the runway so jets would fly just feet above our car as they were taking off. He was becoming the fun parent while my mom was at home, left raising three kids on her own the rest of the week. During this time, I was very involved in our church youth group. I really felt like the Lord used my youth pastor and his family to save me from myself. Being in the middle of a divorce situation, statistically, I should have gone down a different path. There were times that I was close to making bad decisions, but each time the Lord would intervene and give me a way out. If you have children at home, I would strongly encourage you to be an example to them with your church attendance. You can't do it on your own. 
Children and teens need to see that others love the Lord and they are serving him despite their circumstances. My older brother, Tim, loved Southern gospel music and spent most of his time with a local group acting as their sound man. This was a great outlet for him to use his God-given gifts while being around the influence of godly people. Tom was still in elementary school, but my mom made sure that he was in church every time the doors were open. About two months after my parents' divorce, we had a couple come to our church that sang Southern gospel music. They shared their testimony of marriage restoration, and my mom was immediately moved by the Holy Spirit that she should trust God for the healing of her marriage. That morning, she went to the altar and asked the Lord to forgive her for her involvement that she had in the breakdown of the marriage. Your husband or wife may have left you because of an affair, or there may have even been physical abuse. But regardless of the situation, the first step we each must take is coming clean before the Lord for our actions. Ephesians 5:22 through 33 gives clear instructions on the marriage relationship. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Wives, if you have not respected and submitted to your husbands, then you need to repent. Husbands, if you have not loved your wives as Christ loved the church, then you need to repent for that sin as well. That Sunday afternoon, my mom called my dad and invited him to attend the evening service with her and hear this couple minister again. She wanted him to hear firsthand the miracle that God did in this marriage and to show him that God could also heal their broken marriage. He did not want to attend the service, but that didn't stop my mom from going back. That day, the Lord spoke to my mom, and he told her that regardless of my dad's actions, she had to be obedient to her Savior. She had her first test that Sunday afternoon. She could have gotten upset that my dad didn't want to go to church with her and stayed home, depressed that he said no. But instead, she was in a pew that Sunday night, resolved that Luke one thirty seven was in fact true, and nothing is impossible with God. My mom changed that day, not because she heard this spectacular testimony, but because she got her life right with God. James 1, 5 through 6 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Until you ask the Lord for that wisdom, your marriage will never survive. 
We hear from standers every day that say they wanted their spouse back on day one, but they now understand that until they were in a right relationship with the Lord, the marriage would never have survived restoration. My mom spent the next 16 months drawing close to the Lord like never before. Each morning, she would sit at the end of the table next to a big mirror, curling her hair with her Bible open. She had laminated prayer sheets that included scriptures and the armor of God, and she would pray that for our entire family. I don't say that to say how wonderful my mom was, but to say that her relationship with Jesus Christ was the real deal. It wasn't contingent on how she felt that day or whether or not she was hurt by my dad. Those days were hard. She was raising three kids alone, and she was financially responsible for most of our needs. She was watching my dad enjoying his new single lifestyle, which consisted of new clothes, weight loss, new restaurants, on and on the list goes. She finally understood that her relationship with the Lord was number one. She had to be obedient to his commands, and the rest was his responsibility. There is great freedom that comes from understanding that we are not in control and we have a Savior who wants to carry our load. Why then do we continually take our problems back from the foot of the cross? Do we not trust him? Is his timing not perfect? Isaiah chapter 40 verses 28 through 31 says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. What a promise! We will soar on wings like eagles. We will run and not grow weary. I have met people like that. People that are in the midst of life's battlefield and they are trusting God 100%. That doesn't mean they are robots and they feel no emotions, but they understand that God's word is true and nothing is happening to us outside of his control. Read the story of Job. He was a man of God. Satan asked God if he could test Job and God allowed it. Satan was convinced that Job was only faithful because his life was going well and he had riches. Would God be enough for Job when he had lost it all? Job's own wife suggested in chapter 2 verse 9 that he curse God. Job remained faithful and in the end God spoke and Job's health and wealth were restored. Does your trial resemble Job's? Do you have people telling you that you deserve to be happy or it's time to move on? In chapter 1 of Job, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Is God being praised through your trial? It took me some time to understand that my mom had not lost her mind in wanting my dad back. It took years for me to heal from the pre-divorce life, but God has healed my mind. Instead of focusing on the bad, like remembering when we left for vacation and had a giant fight in the car on that particular road, the Lord has allowed good memories to flood my mind. After two and a half years of divorce, my parents were remarried. It happened suddenly. My dad was living almost two hours away, and he showed up at my mom's office. He asked her to go out to lunch, and her answer was, of course, yes. My dad was under such conviction that he could no longer stand it. 
He promised that if my mom would commit to stop praying, he would go get a marriage license that day and she could keep it in her Bible. You can imagine her response. Bob, I would love to have that marriage license, but I will never stop praying for you. I'm sure that response was not what my dad expected to hear. During lunch at the other woman's favorite restaurant, the Lord spoke to my dad telling him to repent and marry my mom that very afternoon. Within a couple of hours, my brothers and I were called and told to report to our pastor's office because there was going to be a wedding. My mom had been fasting and praying for her marriage, and as a result, she had lost weight and could now fit in her original wedding dress. She thought that she would wear it on the day they remarried. None of that was happening. Her best plans did not fall into place, but at that moment, it didn't matter. God was restoring their marriage. The night my parents remarried, the whole family went to a nice restaurant to celebrate. I remember coming home and my dad was sitting on the edge of his bed. There was a quick disagreement about something minor, and I remember thinking, oh great, nothing has changed. What I did not know was my dad was telling my mom that he needed to call the other woman. My mom wanted to listen in on the conversation, but my dad wanted to do it alone. So my mom left the room, trusting God to handle the situation. I quickly realized that while my parents had a restored marriage, they were still two imperfect humans that would have disagreements. The difference after the remarriage was that the disagreements were handled in a different fashion than they were before. It was evident that God was the head of our household and the head of my parents' marriage. My mom continued to stand for her marriage. You've probably heard her say many times that she was a stander for life. That doesn't mean my dad continued to cheat or be abusive, but it meant that as long as Satan could find a crack in the foundation of our home, he would try to destruct the progress that was being made with the Lord. When you get married for the first time, you often go through premarital counseling. After a divorce, although you are remarrying a spouse you have been with for years, two people need to understand how to readjust to life together. They need to figure out how to combine the finances again and how to discipline the kids as a unit and not as one parent playing the good guy and one parent is the bad guy. These things take time and much prayer. That is why my mom said that she was a stander for life. She was never going to stop praying for her husband and her family. Right now, our small group at church is going through the book Radical by David Platt. In this book, Platt says, In direct contradiction to the American dream, God actually delights in our inability. He intentionally puts his people in situations where they come face to face with their need for him. In the process, he powerfully demonstrates his ability to provide everything his people need in ways they could never have mustered up or imagined. And in the end, he makes much of his own name. This is played out with Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7-9. through 9. It says, To keep me from becoming conceited, because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What situation have you been placed in where you have come face to face with your need for Christ? 
Has Christ been able to delight in your inability during that situation? In my adult life, I can think of three situations. The first would be in 2005 when our son Tyler died at birth from an umbilical cord accident. We were in the operating room at one of the most exciting moments of life. Ours was a little more exciting because I was preparing to give birth to our second set of twins. Within minutes, I knew that something had gone terribly wrong. Both babies were taken to a room next door and my husband Scott followed right behind them. Within a few minutes, a nurse came in and attempted to whisper to my doctor. They called a code on twin B. The Lord let me hear her so that I could begin to prepare for the shock that was coming my way. At that moment, I tried to focus my mind and figure out which baby was twin B. During the pregnancy, at each ultrasound, the babies are labeled A and B, and I couldn't remember which one was which. I prayed, God help me. The only thing that came to my mind seemed strange at the moment, but it was the doxology. It says, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I remember thinking, really? The doxology? Why can't I think of some super scripture to comfort me right now? In the minutes that followed, it seemed like life was in slow motion. I literally remembered every sound, every word spoken, every smell. I felt like I was watching a movie, only I was the star. Minutes later, my husband walked back in the operating room with a NICU doctor leading the way. I remember staring into his eyes as he walked towards me, still lying on the operating room table, and seeing a look that I've never seen before. The NICU doctor explained that our son Tyler was born with the cord wrapped around his ankles. I immediately thought, that's a relief. I know babies are born every day with the cord wrapped around their necks and they survive. The doctor quickly continued, the cord was too tight and it cut off all blood flow and oxygen and he did not survive. Wow, I didn't see that coming. It was the middle of the night and my mom was there with Scott. We had told her not to bother coming to the hospital until the next morning, but she wasn't going to miss the birth of her grandbabies. Because the nurses were so enamored with our story of two sets of twins, they let my mom wait for Scott right outside the operating room door. When the nurses came running out with Tyler, she was right there. She was there with Scott as they watched a team of doctors and nurses try to resuscitate Tyler and breathe life back into his tiny body. That was no accident. That was the hand of God watching over my family. The words of the doxology were all about praise. Would I praise God in this? He just took my son. How could I praise him? It even became evident as I replayed the events of that early Friday morning in my mind, even though my heart was breaking, that God's hand was all over this situation. My mom was there with Scott, and my brother that lived four hours away happened to be in town that weekend. Because they worked in the funeral business, when it came time to say goodbye to Tyler and send him to the funeral home, both of my brothers were the ones that took him. Ashley and Tyler were five weeks early, and they were both so small. Tyler was just four pounds, and Ashley was only four pounds, three ounces. Although she was small, she was doing great, and Scott reported that she was in the newborn nursery and breathing on her own. Again, that was God. After Tyler's death, a song that meant so much to me was from Casting Crowns, titled Praise You in This Storm. It seemed like every time I got in the car, this song was on the radio. 
I would sob driving down the road while being reminded that I had a choice to make. Would I praise Jesus in this storm? I can't tell you how many times the Lord allowed me to hear that song at the exact moment I needed it. As Ashley's first birthday approached, I anticipated how I would react to the celebration of her first birthday, as well as the one-year anniversary of Tyler's death. That Saturday morning, my parents joined my family out for breakfast, and then we headed to the cemetery to put out flowers. The kids and I had gone to the store and bought some helium balloons, and we tied a note to the bottom with Tyler's name and a scripture. After some time at the cemetery, it was time to head home for the birthday party. Would you like to guess what song was on the radio when we got in the car? Praise you in this storm. Those are not coincidences. That is God. In the days that followed, I saw time and time again how God was in control. I could have chosen bitterness, but I chose to trust that God had a plan for my life. It in no way meant that I was happy and jovial as I walked through those dark days, but it meant that I was dependent on Jesus Christ for my joy. I continually prayed that he would make much of his name through this trial. If a situation brings glory and honor to Jesus, who am I to demand that my Savior take that situation from me? The next time I remember being in a situation where I came face to face with my need for God was when my husband Scott lost his real estate business. He had been a successful realtor for many years, and even when the market had a downturn, we remained unaffected. We were boasting in our own ability, and that quickly changed. Within a few months, the 20 deals we had on the books waiting to close all fell apart. We went one month, then another, then another, realizing that no new deals were happening. There were days when we had less than $1 in our bank account and no prospects of income coming in. The Lord provided so many times in this season of our lives. The first time we remember Him providing was when an older lady from our church approached us a few weeks before Valentine's Day with a bag. She said, I was cleaning out a closet and I found these and I thought that maybe you could use them. We opened the bag and found a box of Valentine cards. They weren't just any cards. They were the exact box of cards that our son Ryan would have picked off the shelf had we taken him to a store. That was God. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He was meeting our needs over and over again. The third time I recall being put in a situation where I was forced to realize my need for Christ was when Ashley was diagnosed with a rare condition called caudal regression syndrome. From birth, we knew that we noticed inconsistencies with her output, but the nurses at the hospital wanted us to focus on how perfect she was and the fact that we were taking a blessing home. After a couple of years of repeat urinary tract infections, an MRI was ordered. I was standing in Target with all four of my kids when the doctor called. She said, we have good news and bad news. The kidneys that we thought were the problem are not the problem, but Ashley is missing her sacrum. I had never even heard of a sacrum. I looked down at Ashley and I thought, she appears to be doing okay without it. The doctor went on to say that we needed to see a specialist the next day. Life changed for us that day. We soon realized that Ashley was born with a rare condition. It was so rare that each doctor we saw would say, I've only read about this in textbooks. I quickly became an expert on exactly what a sacrum was and what life without one means. Through my research, I found a specialized hospital that I felt could help us with Ashley. It was one of the top hospitals for kids with this disorder in the world. God led me to the right facility. 
Within a few months of finding out a diagnosis, my mom and I spent 10 days at this hospital undergoing tests and making a plan for Ashley's future. The first trip we took to this out-of-state hospital was the hardest. It was where I came face-to-face with the reality of my daughter's disability. Because that trip would be 10 days, my husband couldn't go with me. He stayed home to work and take care of our other kids, and my mom joined me on this trip. We were at the airport waiting to take off when I received a call from the hospital telling me that after weeks of planning this trip, the insurance wouldn't cover the testing that needed to be done. It would cost us thousands of dollars to pay for this out of pocket. We made a plan to go ahead and take the trip and work it out later. I knew that we had to get the testing done. As my dad would say, but God. Ashley had the testing and the appointments with the doctors, and the doctors agreed to write letters, and I appealed to the insurance company, and in the end, they paid for everything. The early days of understanding Ashley's diagnosis, learning the daily medical routines that we would be helping her with, and keeping up with the constant appointments for testing and doctor's visits, weighed us down. When my husband and I stepped back and looked at the multiple ways the Lord provided in all areas, we had no choice but to give Him the praise for it. Even when we are in our darkest days, how can we deny God's hand at work? His word is truth. He wants to be glorified in our trials. What are you facing today? What has brought you face to face with your need for Christ? Have you surrendered your life to the Lord? Are you still holding on to some areas thinking that you can handle things better? I can't tell you how many times my husband and I would literally be on our faces in our bedroom before the Lord. We were broken. We were at the end of ourselves. The chair next to our bed was nicknamed the crying chair because that is where we would end up crying out to the Lord. We were willing to do anything to make the pain stop. We just wanted it to end. That was a refining process for us. The Lord was using that time to bring us in line with His will. It killed me to bury my son and not even have one day with him alive on this earth. But I know that through his memorial service and through the birth announcements we sent out, the Lord was glorified. People heard about the saving grace of Jesus, and those people may have never heard of it before. After Tyler died, I wanted to stay in my home and just be with my family. It became a struggle to function in everyday life. I kept thinking that nobody would blame me for stepping back from my activities for this time. I did just bury my baby. Quickly, the Lord impressed upon me that I could either go forward with him or sink back and let Satan win the battle for my mind. I am not a quitter, and I felt like I was ready to face the world and kick Satan right between the eyes. I picked up my ministries at church and felt like if that is where God wanted me to minister, then I would do it with his strength. It is hard to be depressed about a situation when you are being a blessing to someone else. I can see now how the Lord has used our trials for his glory. We are not out of all of them. Ashley's daily care requires a great deal from us emotionally, physically, and financially, but God has carried us through each day, and I know that when she enters adulthood and has to care for these needs on her own, He will carry her as well. You may be at the point today where you are in the crying chair begging for the Lord to take your pain and heartache away. Cry out to Him. He has promised to comfort you. Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Ask the Lord to give you rest today. 
But understand that that may not mean the end of your trial. You may have to endure more pain for a season. Every day I read emails from people that are in seemingly hopeless situations. Those same days, I read emails from people where God has transformed their hopeless situation. I am here to tell you that the Lord cares for each of you and He can transform your hopeless situation. We had the opportunity to marvel at what the Lord did with the death of my dad in 2011. That entire situation could have played out much differently had there been a stepmother involved. I often wonder who would have been at the hospital on that day in September when a doctor appeared in the surgical waiting room shaking his head and commenting, It's bad. It's very bad. Would my stepmother have agreed with my dad's wishes to go home with hospice care? Would she have allowed my brothers and I to come and go as we pleased at any hour of the day? Today I would love nothing more than to have my son Tyler here running around my house with his brothers and sisters, or to have Scott successful in a career that he loves, or even have Ashley healed and whole. But the one thing I want more than all of that is to be in the center of God's will. Being in the center of his will has meant some heartache, but that doesn't compare to feeling special that he chose me to make much of his name. You have been chosen for this task. Go and make much of his name. Will you join me in praying right now? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the way that you have shown up in each of our lives. Lord, today I ask that you would bind up the brokenhearted and let them feel your hand at work. Father, thank you for choosing us to make much of your name. We desire to bring glory to you. Strengthen each of us as we walk through these trials, and may we learn to lean on your word and your truths for our wisdom. Help us to remain strong, and may your name be glorified. If we can help you in any way, we invite you to visit the website of Rejoice Marriage Ministries at www.rejoiceministries.org. Thanks for joining us today as we proclaim that God heals hurting marriages.